Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Bit More Complicated, the podcast where you can hear science-based discussions about important topics, issues, and problems in society, and what we can do to make them better. I'm Manny Galvan at UNC Chapel Hill. And I'm Dylan Selterman at Johns Hopkins University. And today we're continuing the conversation about abortion. In episode eight, we discussed public opinion about abortion in light of the recent Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. At the top of the show, we promised an in-depth look at the impact that abortion and lack of abortion access has on people. To help us understand the link between abortion and mental health, we are joined today by Dr. Julia Steinberg, a professor and researcher at the University of Maryland School of Public Health. Dr. Steinberg studies whether abortion is linked to mental health problems and how mental health is associated with unintended pregnancy. Dr. Steinberg, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Can you give our audience a bit more background on your research interests? Sure. So broadly speaking, my research is at the intersection of psychology and reproductive health, um, and I've largely focused on um, understanding the association between abortion and subsequent mental health, um, as well as um, because of in this work, I was finding that um, women who had abortions were more likely to have histories of mental health problems. Um, And so because most abortions um, are the result of unintended pregnancy in this country, um, I became interested in the role of mental health in unintended pregnancy. Thank you so much for joining us. First and foremost, we want to just make a little space to hear your unabridged thoughts on the overturning of Roe. Um, Obviously, this has hit me and Dylan as a ton of bricks. You know, it's just a it's a big decision. It's a big uh, change that's rolling out in the country. Um, What are your thoughts as a woman, as a mother to children of your own and as a researcher in this area? Yeah, so um, so it is a national tragedy for reproductive rights um, and reproductive access in this country. Um, it will have the most pernicious effects on those who are most marginalized in our society. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that um, there have been policies um, in many states for you know the past 10 years. There has been this increase in a range of restrictive abortion policies. Certainly, the Supreme Court decision was horrific, but there has been this increase for since 2011 um, in, in state um, restrictive abortion policies that have already made it very difficult for those most marginalized in our society. And this will only compound on that. It's true, right? More women will not have any access to abortion in their states, and so they will have to travel, um, some to many states over, um, and some will have to be will be forced to carry a pregnancy to term that they did not plan or want to carry to term. Um, I also want to just make sure that people know um, in that aid access is a place where women can go online to um, to get pills mailed to them to have an abortion. Thank you for sharing that. We can put that in the show notes. You've done so much important research to document the link between abortion and mental health. It's hard to know exactly where to start, but given the current political context where many women will soon lose access to abortion in the U.S., we want to start with your study on comparing women who have had an abortion versus women who were denied an abortion. Your 2015 study investigated 956 women around the U.S. who were part of the, quote, turnaway study. And this means some of them were receiving abortion and others were turned away. Your study specifically looked at differences in depression and anxiety between those two groups. Can you provide us a bit of context about the turnaway study more broadly and tell us what you discovered about those mental health variables? Sure. So um, first, I should um, just make clear that um, Diana Green Foster at UCSF um, was the PI of the turnaway study. 
Um, and so I was fortunate to be able to collaborate on this. I was at UCSF at the time before coming to University of Maryland, where I am now. Um, and um, so sh she was really interested in what happens to women who are turned away from having an abortion. So this, the turnaway study was really interested in looking at what were the physical and mental health outcomes and other outcomes of individuals who are turned away from having an abortion. Um, and so since I've done work on mental health, I was, you know, had the opportunity to collaborate with her on, on a little bit on the mental health outcomes that they examined. Um, and so what the study did was it got, it re uh, recruited women who were um, just over the gestational limit of clinics um, when they were seeking an abortion. And so they were unable to get an abortion. And so they were denied an abortion because they were over the, the gestational limit of the clinic um, and compared um, that to women who were just under the gestational limit. And so they were able to get an abortion. Um, I should note, she did have another comparison group, which was uh, women who uh, were in the first trimester um, and receiving abortions. Um, just to talk a little bit about the findings of the particular study that I was involved in, um, what, what we found, right, was that in eight in um, the first measurement, eight days after either being denied or being able to receive an abortion, um, those who were denied an abortion did have higher levels of anxiety symptoms um, in that eight, right after the abortion, that eight day period, than those who were able to get the abortion. Um, however, by six months, um, levels of anxiety were similar between the groups and they continued to be similar um, throughout the rest of the study period. So it kind of undermines, I guess, there's, there's a, there can be somewhat of a narrative about abortion being something that women regret and it's, it's a, a terrible, you know, um, experience that they have, but it seems like your research, at least in terms of, uh, anxiety and depression, just don't bear that out. Not at all. No, exactly. So there's no way from this study or other research in which I have conducted, um, right. And, and led, um, which exa has examined anxiety, um, disorders, as well as depression, as well as suicidal ideation, um, there is no evidence that abortion is causing individuals to have um, mental health problems. Okay, so now let's let's try to get into the weeds by addressing three hypotheses about how abortion can be linked with mental health. One hypothesis is that mental health may predict getting an abortion because people are struggling with mental health disorders are more likely to have an unintended pregnancy and thus have abortions. A second hypothesis is that getting an abortion would cause mental health problems in the long run. And a third hypothesis is that being denied an abortion is really the thing that affects or predicts mental health difficulty. So uh, can we discuss the evidence base for each of those three hypotheses and which is more, which has more evidence than the others or what else is going on there? Sure. I guess we'll just go in order. The hypothesis that mental health may be leading to abortions through unintended pregnancy or leading to both unintended pregnancies and abortions. I mean, I think um, there is research mostly in support of that, I would say. So there is uh, research that which has been done to show that individuals who have abortions are more likely to have histories of uh, mental health problems. My own work has shown that there's been some work conducted in the Netherlands as well that has shown that. A colleague of mine, Kelly Hall, um, who's now at Columbia University, some of her work has also shown how mental health is connected with subsequent risk and likelihood of having an unintended pregnancy. In terms of the hypothesis that abortion causes mental health problems, you know, one thing that the Turnaway study was able to address, as well as 
you know, my work. And, and one reason that it's really important to sort of understand whether or not it, abortion is causing mental health problems is because this idea is used to justify a whole range of abortion restrictive, abor restrictive abortion policies. Um, and so, and this has been used you know, for a, a long time. And so things, policies around waiting periods, policies around two trip requirements, um, medication abortion requirements. So telling women that they can actually reverse their medication abortion, which is not in any way accurate scientifically. But one reason for having these laws, people argue, is that abortion harms women's mental health. So we need to tell people that this is possible. They're also used to justify informed consent laws, which give women a lot of um, frequently a lot of misinformation around an abortion. Um, and so um, that's one reason it's really important to understand whether or not abortion is causing mental health policies problems because policies are justified by this idea. So what my work has found is really there's no evidence that abortion is causing mental health problems. While there may in some studies be an association, correlation does not equal causation. And we show very clearly how it is that um, and why it is that abortion is not a cause of mental health problems. So I guess to get a little bit more into the weeds of it, sometimes in some of the data sets I've used, so I've used U.S. nationally representative data sets, I've used um, Danish population registers data, and we find, right, that abortion is associated with subsequent mental health problems like depression or suicidal ideation. But when we control for history of a history of depression or a history of suicidal ideation, right? Um, or other adverse experiences, which are associated with both having an abortion and mental health problems, things like experiencing intimate partner violence. When you control for these things in analysis, you actually find that there is no longer an association between abortion and mental health. And what about the final hypothesis that lacking access to abortion is really what's driving mental health problems for people? So the Turner We study is a great study for that because right that literally looked at women who were able to get an, abor an abortion and compared them to women who were denied an abortion because they were over the gestational limit of the clinic. Um, and what we see, you know, from the study that was started in 2008, went to about 2013 because it followed a woman for five years, is that initially at eight days after being denied an abortion, um, women had higher levels of anxiety and stress symptoms. They also had lower self-esteem, and I believe their life satisfaction was also lower compared to women who were able to get an abortion. But by six months after being denied an abortion, compared to women who were able to get an abortion, you know, they were similar, had similar levels of anxiety and stress symptoms. So it does seem, at least in this particular study, right, that the differences that existed at the beginning did go away in terms of anxiety and stress symptoms. Now, that being said, we are in a very different context than, right, there are many more individuals who are going to be denied an abortion than what was occurring in 2008 and 2000 to 2013 when the study was conducted. And we have seen, as I had mentioned earlier, this significant increase in sort of um, restrictive abortion policies since that study was conducted, right? So there is a very, I would say, different sociocultural context um, right now than what was occurring when this study was conducted, when the turnaway study was conducted. So I would hypothesize that things could be worse now. We might, you know, in terms of thinking about how mental health will look for people who are denied access, but it is certainly a testable hypothesis that probably will and should be tested. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it might be a more stigmatizing environment. And so let's focus on stigma as it relates to mental health consequences for people who have abortions. So you've written several peer-reviewed articles on this topic. So what is abortion stigma and what effects does it have? Sure. So abortion stigma really stems from 
violation of, of, of norms of femininity. Um, and in particular, um, you know, two norms that are violated and, and um, are norms around uh, being a nurturing mother, um, as well as um, norms around sexual purity. And what effect does this experience of stigma have on women when they have an abortion? There has been some research, and some of which I have conducted, that has shown that um, stigma is associated with pre-abortion mental health symptoms. So things like uh, pre-abortion depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, and stress symptoms. And not only is it associated with it, but it is actually the strongest predictor of pre-abortion uh, depression, anxiety, and stress symptoms. And we look at a whole range of adverse experiences, things like intimate partner violence, childhood adversities, as well as sociodemographic factors and other reproductive characteristics. Um, and it, what really emerges and what's really, um, I have found really interesting is that uh, your expectations around the level of abortion stigma that you, you expect to experience after your Abortion are, is um, actually explains the most amount of variance anywhere from about 10, uh, around 10% of variance in um, pre-abortion anxiety, um, depressive and stress symptoms. Um, there has been some other work that has looked at abortion stigma and, you know, post-abortion mental health. Um, some of that work has been done by a colleague, uh, Dr. Antonia Biggs from UCSF. And that work has, has found that, uh, you know, the high, highest levels of abortion stigma are associated with higher levels of, of mental health symptoms from shortly after to five years after having an abortion. And so I think the link between stigma and abortion makes it a useful political tool for people who want to disrupt access to abortion. You've written a little bit about this. Can you describe how stigma is used as a political tool? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think there's sort of a, you know, a, a dual relationship going on here in that if we have a higher abortion stigma, um, it's it's likely to um, mean that we will have a little bit being in a society which has more restrictive abortion policies. Um, but at the same time, these more restrictive abortion policies actually do lead to higher levels of stigma, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it is it is a complicated and perhaps cyclical relationship. Yeah. And those are always the most difficult because how do you disrupt a cycle that perpetuates itself? In the spirit of kind of answering that question, how do we reduce stigma about around abortion? I think that that's the million dollar question. Um, and, I, and I think we are trying to do that. Um, I think one way to reduce it is to know um, that it is a very common experience, right? So about one in four women in the U.S. will have an abortion by the time they're 45. Um, another way to do it, to think about it is, you know, probably a lot of people that we all know, um, even if they haven't told you, have, you know, have had an abortion. Another way from Gordon Alport's contact theory, there has been a little bit of, of research written on this in terms of thinking about how um, if we do know people that have an abortion. We realize that those people are just like us. And so we, we do develop some sort of solidarity and, and connection with them. Um, and so another way to, I guess, you know, I think another way to think about it is, is just to think about the fact that we all probably do know someone um, who's had an abortion. Gotcha. And yeah, there's these like strategies, I guess, to normalize people talk about, you know, talking about you're having an abortion experience with your close friends. And some people do it on social media. Um, so, so, so I think that's part of that that strategy of like normalizing and destigmatizing this um, important healthcare decision that a lot of people make. Certainly, I mean, I think if you're comfortable talking with you know close others or with people about that, then yes, I think that that um, 
if you are comfortable with that, I, I think that that is something um, that can help destigmatize it um, for, for lots of people. Right. And we're definitely not saying like you have to or whatever, you know, obviously, just like you said, if you're comfortable. Um, cool. So we've been focusing on mental health variables like anxiety and depression, but you've also documented that women often experience a sense of relief, kind of the opposite of regret. They feel like they've made the right decision following an abortion. So can you talk about the evidence for that and how your findings could inform abortion policy in general? Yeah, so um, so I wrote a commentary on the 20, uh, in 2020 on this um, that was the direct response to or highlighting of the Turnaway Studies findings on um, relief and decision right, um, rightness following an abortion, right? In which they found overwhelmingly, as you said, that women are um, really sure of their decision to have an abortion, right? Not surprising people, uh, people who are making decisions about them, their reproductive decisions are certain, you know, have a certainty around their decision. Um, and so, right, they found that at, at uh, five years afterwards, 99% of the individuals um, were saying that, yes, this was the right decision for me to have an abortion. Um, they found that um, over the five years, relief was the uh, most was the predominant feeling that was felt throughout the whole five years after having an abortion. Um, it found right that um, regret uh, decreased and was I think it was one of the least common, um, if not the least common, feeling um, at five years after the abortion. It's almost shocking, right? Because we we tend to think of like all all sorts of good decisions like you buy a house right you're not going to get anywhere close to 99% of people yeah. on all of these really good decisions like getting a house going to a college like having kids or not like 99% of people agreeing that this was the right choice i'm very happy i made this choice and but for something that is so stigmatizing you have so much agreement that this is the right choice for them yeah no i i think you're right on um it it, it um, it is certainly a, a, a high, a high level, right. And a high percentage of people who are saying very high percent, the overwhelming majority, very overwhelming, right. That are saying this is the right decision. I am a Robert Wood Johnson health policy research scholar. So this is a program specifically designed for people to have an influence on health policy and get some of that training in addition to what you do in your PhD program. Um, and as such, I'm always thinking about how to advocate for evidence-based health policy, how do you engage with policymakers and try to influence policy in the U.S.? How are you feeling about the future of evidence-based reproductive health, given the political climate? So I will say, I, so the way I have tried to engage, and I've been fortunate to have the opportunity, um, is um, not quite, people would not like to say with policymakers, because I'm not dealing too much, though I know my research has been used by, in legislators, um, my work um, actually gets frequently used in the courts, and um, I have been called on to serve as a scientific expert around abortion and mental health, um, around this idea that women are uncertain of their decision to have an abortion or they come to regret their abortion. I have, you know, had the opportunity and the privilege to serve in, I think, about seven legal challenges to restrictive abortion policies where they had someone on the other side who was claiming we need to need justify this policy because we know abortion causes harm to women's mental health or because we know women are uncertain of their decision to have an abortion or because we know women come to regret their abortion. And so I come in as a scientific expert 
and I say, um, you know, what, what the science says. Right. Right. That makes perfect sense. And I, I, I really like that. I think as a budding policy scholar, I tend to think more in terms of the legislator, but I think you're pointing out there's like lots of room for researchers to um, involve themselves in the judicial processes as well, which I think is just very salient given the court decision changing everything. Um, so I appreciate that very much. To piggyback off of Manny's question, um, I'm, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions or advice for the average person uh, who's concerned about abortion rights or activists in this area, people who are trying to, you know, they're trying to make a difference in their communities and their states and maybe across the country. Is there anything that you would like to say to them to help motivate them? Um, I mean, I guess in terms of motivation uh, or in terms of things that you can do, I mean, I think one thing that one can do right now, I feel, um, you know, donations, if you can do that, right. There's a lot of organizations that are trying to help women um, still have access to abortion um, who may be in States where it is completely restricted um, I mean, I've seen lots of things um, going on, even from being able to, whether you can donate miles from, you know, like air travel miles, things like that. I mean, obviously voting is very important, right? And sort of working on, given that this is a state level thing now. Um, so thinking about who's in your legislator and um, who's going to be out there, fight, um, you know, fighting for reproductive rights. Oh, and the other one, other thing I would just point out, and I would just, again, I would I'll just give another plug for Aid Access, um, the organization that is really dedicated to help in and to helping women access, um, you know, abortions with medication abortion. Um, again, you can just, if you just Google Aid Access, this will come right up. So getting the word out there about that, I would say is very important. Thanks. That's great. So I have a final question for you. It is the question we end every podcast interview on. Um, and so uh, it's kind of a weird one, but I think it, it kind of allows you to uh, give us a sense of what you you think is important. And so we're going to, it's not specifically about abortion, I should say. It's just a more general, almost like view on society type question. So imagine you're in another dimension looking at a panel of dials that control human behavior in society. There's a dial that controls small things, or there's like almost infinite dials. Some of the dials control small things, like how often people pop their fingers. Other dials are control really big things, like how much money is invested in green energy. Do you move a dial? If so, which one, how much, and why? I can make up my dial? <laughs> yeah, it's it's near infinite. So you just find the one you you want to move and then move it. I mean, I guess I would have a dial on gender equality, if you will. Um, and so um, I think, you know, I would have them be in the maximum gender equality possible dial level, I guess, is how I would say it. I think um, if, if we had a society in which we were sort of just a more equal society in terms of how we view both the different sexes, but also genders, um, right, um, as well as sexual preferences, right, if we have, and I think all of that sort of comes under gender equality, um, if we just had, I think if we had uh, more fluidity around that and more um, equality around that, then, you know, I, I do think there would be many less issues in our society around a lot of these things, and, and particularly, I think, around reproductive um, rights. 
Thank you again, Dr. Steinberg, for joining us on A Bit More Complicated. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and thank you, Manny and Dylan, for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on A Bit More Complicated. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a friendly rating, and share with a friend. If you have a reaction you'd like to share with us, please find us on Twitter at abitmorepod or send an email to morecomplicatedpod at gmail.com.